Grace to you and peace from God our Father and his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please have a seat. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do all of you understand what Jesus was saying? Yes? Good, because I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> now I don't have to feel guilty. I want to talk about the Hebrew scripture lesson this morning that Tom read from the book of Job, which happens to be my favorite book in the Old Testament. And unfortunately, um, even though today's reading is awesome, it doesn't make a lot of sense apart from the preceding 34 chapters in the book, all of which is skipped in the lectionary. Uh, because during those 34 chapters, Job and his friends argue about the nature of God. And they're all arguments you still hear. In today's reading, which comes at the end of the book of Job, God appears out of a whirlwind and responds to Job's argument. And how great would that be if God showed up and just gave you an answer? And then next Sunday, we'll hear what Job responded to God. So, just a refresher, in case you haven't memorized the book of Job. In chapter 1, Job is described as a good man, blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So God brags to the other heavenly beings about how great Job is. And Satan says, well, sure he's good. His life is awesome. And God says, no, no, Job would be good even if his life were terrible, and then Satan basically says, prove it. Stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. So, boom, all Job's flocks die. All his servants die. All his children die. His wife gives up on him. And just to top it all off, he's covered from head to foot with itching sores. And at that point, his friends show up, and they tell Job that clearly he did something to seriously piss off God. And his friends think, <clears throat> and Job says, well, no, I didn't. God's just mean. His friends say, God's not mean. God is fair. And if God is fair, then you did something wrong. And I'd love to say that the argument was resolved and never heard again. But each of the three friends presents an argument to Job that we still hear. It still creeps into our conversation and our consciousness. The first and the most common is that God makes bad things happen to people as punishment for their sins. We hear that one dragged out every time there's a tragedy of some sort, right? Someone claims it was God's punishment. The second reason that his friends argue for suffering and that we still hear bandied about is education. God is teaching us a lesson. This one is usually used for more personal suffering, right? So you say, I went roller skating in the dark and God broke my leg to teach me how dumb it is to go roller skating in the dark. The final reason that both Job's friends and some modern evangelists offer to explain our suffering is that God causes it or allows it 
because it will ultimately contribute to the pattern of some grand design that we can't see at the moment, but if we just wait long enough, and that may take us all the way into heaven centuries after we're dead, eventually it will all make sense. The common point that all three of these arguments share is that God either wills or allows human suffering. And if that is your belief, I'm not here to put a stumbling stone in front of you. But for the Judeo-Christian tradition at large, the idea that God is behind our suffering has caused centuries of hurt, ending in a new century of people abandoning God altogether. Because as Rabbi Harold Kushner pointed out almost 40 years ago in his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, remember that one? All of those ideas that Job's friends put forth can ultimately lead to disrespect for, for God. No one in their right mind would love or respect a God who makes them suffer. You might fear such a God, but you also might secretly hate him. None of the reasons Job's friends gave him to explain his suffering made Job love God more or respect God more. And yet it is a hallmark of Christian faith that we want to love God more and more. So what are we to do with God in a world filled with suffering? I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christians just don't want to give any serious thought to that question. And I say that's unfortunate because none of us gets through life without suffering. And if we can't figure out in our own hearts and minds where God fits into that, then we're likely to fall into one of two easy traps that are at either end of the spectrum. The first is to say that God is causing or allowing our suffering because we deserve it or to be taught a lesson, to be punished or to become part of a bigger picture, in which case suffering becomes a matter of guilt for ourselves and blame for others. At the other extreme is to deny any role at all to God, either because we convince ourselves that life is just a random flow of matter and energy, or because we think that there is a deeper meaning and purpose, but God's not getting involved. And that, I think, is the number one reason people lose faith. Not that they see no evidence of God, but that they see no evidence of a powerful God. People are sitting in Dunkin' Donuts reading the paper right now, not because they're convinced God doesn't exist, but because they're convinced God doesn't do anything. And egads. If those are the only two choices, a mean God or a couch potato God, I'm not even sure which one we should choose. But those are not the only two choices. That's a false dichotomy. The truth is way more complicated than that. If the choice were just obey God or God will smite you, okay, we'll obey God. That's an easy choice, I think, compared to say, figure out God's will for your life. And that, in turn, will enrich your existence in ways you never imagined, even in the face of suffering doesn't have the same ring to it as obey or else, right? But you know what? God never does give Job an answer. And that's why I love this book so much. Job complains and kvetches and carries on and talks about what a jerk God is until God actually shows up 
and talks to Job out of the whirlwind, beginning with, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, where do you get off, Job? And then God basically tells him, Job, you don't know what you're talking about, so stop talking. And as you'll see next week, Job replies, sorry, you're right, my bad. And that's the end of the book. It's left to us to figure out where in the world God fits into pain and suffering. Theologians in every major religion have been debating this for centuries. So if you don't have the answer all figured out yet, you are in great company. But I think each of us has to try to make our own peace with whatever we do come up with. You don't have to agree with my answer, but you should wrestle and come up with your own answer to this conundrum of a good God in a suffering world. In some ways, that process is defining of mature faith because it's really not until adolescence that most people even grasp that ours is not a fair and balanced ethical world. Bad things do happen to good people and vice versa. So we can go into denial about that or we can stay mad at God forever about that or we can develop a mature faith that finds a place for God in that stew of good and bad. For many of the faithful, that begins with throwing out the idea that God is causing suffering at all. Certainly bad things happen, but that doesn't mean God is making them happen. God is not directing hurricanes or diseases or war or famine in order to smite people. Those things happen because our world is no longer an Eden. We do not live in paradise. And until we do, there will be pain and grief. But God's promise to us through his son is that we will never, ever suffer alone. God will never abandon us through good and bad in our darkest moments and at the brightest ones. God will be with us, all around us, supporting us until that day when we can stand before God face to face. Until then, we live in an imperfect world with imperfect humans, and God is in love with every one of them and always will be. And that's how we know Job was wrong. God's not mean. God's just irrationally in love with us, and that will be our salvation. Amen. <laughs>